episode of Football Sides. I'm your host, Glo, and I'm delighted, absolutely delighted, to be introducing my guest today, uh, David Goldstein. David, welcome to the pod, your first cap. Yes, I'm very proud to be making it. Um, thank you, Glo, for having me. Um, know that, you know, we've had some really good conversations in the past about football, particularly on the data science side, and really cool that you've been exploring the podcasting world. And so I'm happy just, you know, as I, I said to you off, off mic a second ago, just happy to be talking some footy. Yeah, we're very excited. Uh, we're both, uh, I would say, more data-driven uh, people. So I think this will be a different flavor of the podcast than we do in the past. But that's another reason why we love this, to cater to every type of listener and interest in football. So we like to begin our pod with more of what's happening in football. And today, I think we'll just take it as it comes. As we record this right now, there is uh, some Champions League League games going on. But beyond that, um, what's been striking you about the new season in football? Is it still new if it's in November? I don't know. I don't know how (laughs) to characterize anything. There's football happening. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, t- t- time's out happened. the window. Yeah. Um, no, I think there are a couple interesting developments. Um, I think the Premier League's going to be really tight this year, uh, which is nice. Um, I think Liverpool is still absolute quality, but showing some signs of playing a ton of games and not maybe not having all the reinforcements. At least some of their fan base would have liked on the, on the back line and now suffering some injuries. I think there are a lot of teams that you would usually book to be sixth through 10th who maybe are saying, you know, we can get, or seventh seventh through 11th rather and saying we can get into Europe uh, this year and make that push. So that's probably the biggest thing that stands out to me is tuning in every weekend to the Prem and and having no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. We've had, especially not this last match week but the one before and the one before that there were a lot of crazy games which was very exciting that I think this weekend was like no crazy scoreline especially when the Manu Chelsea was a nil-nil draw I was like I guess you have to regress to the mean at some point (laughs) yeah it was it was it was interesting seeing Lampard kind of channel his old Chelsea roots of I mean it seems to me I'm a Chelsea supporter and feel free to judge me if you'd like, but um, I'm, I'm a menu supporter. There's a lot of judgment going around. So. Fair, fair, fair enough. So it seemed like, I mean, Lampard came in with all these young players and really wanted to establish progressive, fairly high pressing approach. And he's kind of realized going back to his old Jose Mourinho coaching trade training that when you're on the road against one of the top six, you take the draw every time. And that's how you win championships. And it's been interesting to see him have that mentality shift. Um, it'll, you know, I think that he'll still want to put his foot on the gas when he can, and especially use all the attacking talent he has. But I think it's shown his maturity as a manager now, second year into the Chelsea job, I believe just his third year managing professionally, that sometimes you got to go about it in the professional manner and just get the point and be happy with it. Yeah, so I didn't watch this game live. I was in an all-day training, but I would agree that it was, from what I've seen, uh, an impressive uh, defensive display from both sides, but especially from Chelsea. I did 
really I don't really quite know what to make of Lampard as a manager but like I think this was another sign that he might have more range and versatility than we have seen so far and of course um it was very good to see the new goalkeeper yeah don't think this bodes well for Kepa but great debut <laughs> uh, what do you I make of the Kepa keeper all, I wish Kepa all the luck of the world at a different club it just it's just not <laughs> It's, it's just not best. a fit. It's it's, it's just... <laughs> yeah, like you know, it happens with when your friends are in relationships and they're breaking apart, and you just want to see them both move on to the next thing. It'll be better for both of them. Yes. Absolutely, what's happening here? Um, well, I no, Mendy too... looks great. Yeah, he looks. He does look really good. I'm I'm thrilled to see. I don't know what do you. Where do you think uh, Chelsea's ceiling is? Um, do you think um, Lampard? I mean, you made a lot of significant purchases, a lot of fasting purchases, people will argue. How do you think Lampard blends that with the young talent that he cultivated last year? How does he keep everyone happy? That's going to be a good question. I mean, you had Olivier Giroud, who maybe was, he's probably our second best player last year behind Pulisic, who can't get game time. And granted, with injuries and COVID and stuff. You never really know what's happening behind the scenes, but um, yeah, it's going to take some time to mesh. I think Chelsea's ceiling is, I mean, they should make top four and I think they will. I think that Lampard will be disappointed if he doesn't either win the FA cup or make it a round or two into the champions league. Um, I think he just wants, he wants improvement. Um, I know he'll say he wants to go for a title, but we're just not there yet. Um, yeah, but I think, I think it's fair to say yeah, you're not quite a title-winning team yet. Some sort of tangible improvement over last year. Yeah, I no, think but there reasonable. are teams that have had less quality, and there are teams that have had less quality and have won the title. So, and to, you know, they get hot and go on a run and figure it all out. Who knows? But I, I, I wouldn't put my money on it. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be the best team. You just have to. Be- be like you just have to be what's in front of you you know and yeah. you don't exist in a vacuum and like the Liverpool stumble uh, or any signs of stumble might help another team or like Man City looking uh, confusing might be the term I would use it's unclear because I still think they're a really good team but <laughs> they're pretty good today <laughs> yeah but I'm still like confused I don't know you know, like the Man City of like two years ago, I was, you know, when we just like strike fear into your heart and you're like, oh, and just like the dread isn't quite there yep. yet. And honestly, my thesis is it began with the uh, departure of company and Leroy Sané. But you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, com- Sané for sure, and he's in, he's an incredible talent, but they still have so much attacking depth. Last year, it was... It's pretty easy to point out what was going on. They just didn't do anything to replace company. Uh, now they have at least a couple um, candidates. Looks like Ruben Diaz is a real prospect. Mm-hmm. Kept a clean sheet today. So, I mean, he's not, he's not going to be company right away. But even just not having a glaring hole there puts them back in the championship contention. Uh, but, yeah, it's at this, on one hand, you could argue that City is a little bit predictable. But on the other hand, with all the players they have, you can know what they want to do and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's a pretty good position to be in. Yeah, exactly. If you can still be in when you're predictable, it's still a wonderful space. 
All right. Um, at least that's all that stacks with me from the recent just many, many waves of games. And I did want to know that I did get the notification a little bit earlier that uh, Bartomeu has resigned. So we'll probably follow up a little bit later as to what that means for Barca in a more La Liga specific conversation. But, you know, news is always floating about on such things. What I want to come yeah, up today... I mean- Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, like, the, the, the first thought's going to be messy, 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 messy. And their problems obviously run far deeper than just messy. Ooh, so messy it'll, to it'll city? be. January? <laughs> who, who knows? I mean, obviously, for the tabloids, it'd be great. But no, I think, I think the, their problems run deep. Um, and it starts with leadership, it trickles down. So interesting to see what comes of it, is all. Yeah, it's uh, watch the space. That's where I put that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Um, so what I actually want to discuss today is take advantage of having you on the pod and discuss your path from being a student coach with the Princeton men's soccer team to now actually being a GM of Atlantic City FC, um, an established and uh, professional team. I think... Your com- I think your path is especially interesting as it is more unique than the people we see in the top of the game. It will give people an idea of you who loves the sport so much. How can you do things to be more involved if you do- would not happen to be blessed with being a professional athlete at some degree? Because as we know, a lot of the paths, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the staff really have roots in playing at the highest level of the game. But there's so many people who love the sport and can contribute to it without having that prerequisite. And I want to be able to explore that. And with that being said, I don't know, just give us a How do you start as a student coach? How do you get into that? Sure. So I grew up playing, love the sport since I was little. And in my mind, my path was going to be playing at the collegiate level. And unfortunately, I had too many concussions in youth soccer to be able to continue playing at the highest levels beyond high school soccer. And I got to Princeton and, you know, was just a student trying to make my way, figure out what I was passionate about. And at the end of the day, it was still just soccer. And you can't, unfortunately, they don't have a, a soccer major yet. Um, maybe one day. Um, I'd be happy to be the first professor in that department. Um, But I knew I needed to integrate soccer at a high level in my life. And so I sent a complete shot in the dark email to the head coach saying, look, you have no idea who I am, but I would have tried to have played for you if I could have. Um, I think I can be an asset. Um, I don't care what position it is. I just want to be a part of your team and help. And thanks for your consideration. And didn't think that I'd ever hear back. And a couple months later, <laughs> I got an email saying, your interview's tomorrow. Okay. Um, I had to prep myself pretty quickly. And went in and just said, look, I'm someone like, you know, I am not going to come in the first day and just blab about all my ideas uh, and how you're doing things wrong and whatever it may be. It's, I'm going to, you know, take care of all the little things and just make your life easier first and foremost. And I think over time, there'll be moments that present themselves where I can share my knowledge and share my expertise and experience as a player and as someone who watches the game often. And 
hopefully get buy-in from the coaching staff and from the players to see me as more someone who's just making their lives easier. But that was the the floor of what I wanted to be and sold them on that idea. And, you know, over two and a half years was able to be a coach for the team. Um, coach guys I was sitting next to in class, um, guys who are my best friends off the field. And, you know, I'm, I had say in lineups and substitutions and, saying things while they're playing division one soccer, uh, when they were on the field. So really interesting dynamic that I had to navigate, but my mentality was just always be of help, prove yourself with all the little things. And then, um, you know, work your way into the trust of the players just through, you know, when the time is right, saying something that makes a difference. Yeah. It has a very Mourinho-esque, um, tone to it you know like the way he got started just someone who really loves the sport and had a few ideas and I mean I definitely applaud the bravery of just putting your name out there and sometimes people listen yeah I mean there 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 have been a lot of no's trust me Uh, I was actually even before that gig I was supposed to be the broadcaster for the team and that didn't go through um they kind of, the people in charge kind of just forgot that we had had an arrangement <laughs> that if I broadcasted baseball, if I broadcasted baseball, then I would get to do soccer. I broadcasted baseball, which was nice and all, but wasn't the point. And then when it came so- time for soccer season, they forgot and hired someone else. Oh, I can't believe That's they just... did that to you. They made you, they put you through baseball and didn't even get, oh, oof. You know? I mean, I ended up becoming friends with some of the Princeton baseball guys, and uh, coincidentally, Bob Bradley's brother coaches the team. I actually haven't spoken to him, but I had it in my mind, oh yeah, there's still a connection to soccer here, but really it was just rationalizing. Mm-hmm. But it's just one example of how there are a ton of no's, but all it takes is one or two yeses to you know really change the trajectory of your life and football career. And Mourinho's definitely an inspiration. Um, I think that if you work really hard and work really smart, um, and you understand, you know, you, you look at soccer as a as a puzzle, as a challenge that has its rules and its limitations and its players and its pieces. And how do you optimize what you can get out on the field and off the field in terms of making an impact? I think that really, you know, the ability to be successful in the sport um, is not solely predicated on being a player, but I also think you need to know your limitations. There are some things that I cannot speak to, um, especially now working at the semi-professional level, the aspirations to work in the professional level. You need to know when to bite your tongue when, even if you have the right information, certain, certain players are never going to listen to you if you haven't played or if you're, you know, their age and coaching them. And, you know, you need to always command their respect. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, there's definitely a learning curve about who I could tell to track back and get on their case and who it, 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 some some players it was not a good idea, especially some of the seniors. And I was a junior. I learned that pretty quick. But then over time, if I was giving them information that helped them become a better player, maybe they were a little more willing to run back when I yelled at them. Yeah, that's a very interesting point that you bring up, because we do hear very often like, at all levels, but most even and it's more pronounced and more visible at the top top tier level when you say when you hear like that the coach has lost the dressing room i guess having worked as a coach to without 
I guess I'm casting you as a Maurizio Sarri <laughs> in this particular instance, right? <laughs> Where you don't come in with all the accolades that as a Dan comes into the dressing room. How are, we, how are you navigating those dynamics? I mean, the easiest thing is to be right. Um, if you really know your stuff and what you're saying is the correct information and, you know, that that's step one. You can't be telling players the wrong things, they'll figure that out real quick. Um, the second thing is you have to have a unique style of how you communicate because you can say all the right information, but if the players don't want to listen to you, then regardless of the content that you're putting out there, it's not going to hit home. So, and, and some coaches do better with that in some situations than others. You bring up Sari, obviously he was, he had a fantastic rapport with the Napoli rock locker room, had them playing you know, punching above their weight. And then at Chelsea and Juventus, whether it was just the stature of the club or just the way that he communicated not resonating, he, you know, he's trying to play the same style of football. He, are, he probably had better players um, at those latter clubs. But, um, you know, it's about understanding. It's, it's about Taylor, you know, being genuine to who you are as a leader and a coach or general manager and understanding what your player is and meeting them you know, molding your approach to so that they'll listen and hear you out without compromising who you are. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's kind of true, truly in most aspects in life and learning that even though you are you are indeed correct and this philosophy is right and learning when you can, you need to be flexible and when you need to pivot and adjusting to the team that you're coaching the people that you're around and I think that definitely tends to make for the most successful managers uh I don't know I would say that one of the things that I do find about frustrating is like I think Mourinho is like brilliant and like very talented but I do think he can be quite inflexible in his method and his communication you know and I don't know I just I think it's important to be able to recognize like that different players take things very differently like your nine to five to our listeners your boss probably communicates to you like more differently than he does your co-worker about the same exact thing yeah it's 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 a i mean it's sport so there's a lot you know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of adrenaline involved there's a lot of blood sweat and tears but you know there's there's camaraderie that's at another level as compared to maybe a different type of job not all, but but you know, it definitely is a I mean, real Wall factor. Wall Street and... is not a huge camaraderie based <laughs> institution. I have no experience <laughs> with it, so I'll 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 leave it there. Um, you 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 would know better than I. Um, but my point is that at the end of the day, it's it's how people in it's an employee employer relationship with a different flavor. And those relationships, even in a non-football environment, can be really healthy and really meaningful and impactful. Um, but it takes, you know, it it takes, on you know, being radically transparent and, you know, striking the balance between being genuine and tailoring your approach to your employees, to your players, to your to your staff, to your assistants. It's all. It, it, it's all the same concepts, just in a different context, but the context matters. The context matters. As I said, at the end of the day, you need to know your stuff. You can be the nicest person in the world. You can be 
a great motivator, but if you tell soccer players to do the wrong thing, they're not, it's not going to go well. So, you know, the results have to be there as well. The substance. Yeah. Um, so I know beyond, uh, working with a division one college football team, you've also worked with other professional clubs. How was that experience different? Um, I'll go ahead. Sorry. I should have mentioned before. Um, you know, I think, I, I think the phrase I just used was, uh, you can be the nicest guy in the world. You can be the nicest person in the world. Cause mm-hmm. I certainly don't believe that managers that, you know, anyone can manage anyone and anyone can coach anyone. That's also true thinking about, you know, maybe even the corporate world or just outside of football, you know, something that I strongly believe in. So I just wanted to catch myself there, but in terms of working in a professional environment, um, no, they're all very different. Um, they have they have similarities. They have unique cultures, but there really isn't two. I mean, and I was lucky to work for two clubs that are very highly respected. Uh, I interned there during my summers. One one summer at Atlético Nacional in Medellín, Colombia, and the other at New York Red Bull, primarily with their academy, but also some with their second team, and you know, it is a lot about being professional and you, you can, you have some characters, you have some jokers in the locker room, but when it's time to go, it's, there's no messing around. There's no, every second of training, you need to be as efficient as possible because you can't just spend two hours, three hours, you know, you can't keep your players out there until they get it right because you have to, get ready for the next game and can't overexert them. And now with modern technology, you know, you can see whether you are potentially subjecting them to injury if you're not being as efficient with your training time as possible. That was one thing that really stood out is just how measured everything is, how scientific everything is from that point of view. And it makes every single part of training, even the transitions between exercises, that much more important was was one thing that really stuck out and then the other thing is just you know how radically different managers can be and get the same results of having their teams buy in and play well so Reynaldo Rueda who's the head coach of the Chilean national team he was the head coach of Atletico Nacional when I was there and he couldn't be more relaxed and in his video sessions you would he would keep it brief five, 10 minutes. And at the end of it, pretty much his message was guys, we're the best team. We know exactly what to do. Go out there and do it. If we have an issue, we'll figure it out. If part of that issue is changing up the team, I'll do it. But if you guys do what you're supposed to do, I shouldn't have to say anything. Good luck out there. Whereas you have New York Red Bull who at the time, Jesse Marsh and then Chris Armis, once Jesse left for Leipzig was coaching, uh, you know, you've seen, everyone's seen the Jesse March video of him, his halftime speech against Liverpool when he was coaching Salzburg and how fiery and passionate he is. And at the end of the day, completely different styles, but both both teams wanted to win for their manager and both teams, the players knew exactly what, you know, what was required of them within their tactical structure. And then also where they had the freedom to, within that structure, put their stamp on the game. 
And, you know, you can go about things in very different ways and have that end result, but that's what breeds success. Yeah, I mean, magic wand, but certainly having good data might go a long way to help preparation and avoiding such instance. Um, I know I mentioned at the top of the show that we're both data-driven people. Uh, could you um, at least describe to our audience like your experience with data and what kind of football data we're talking about? As like that's a very broad and largely meaningless term. <laughs> um, from the data perspective, so I have done performance analysis. I've done projects on my own. I did a data science boot camp and some work in graduate school that was soccer analytics focused. And I think an analytical approach is just as important as using crazy numbers or, you know, really like big data. You got, there's so much low hanging fruit in terms of what, what quantitative analysis can do for your club's performance that, you know, people can get into really advanced statistics and people dubbed the Liverpool, uh, I'll mispronounce the Danish name, but Michelin Champions League match as the data derby because both teams are very highly data driven and it's led to a lot of success for them. And I'm sure they're doing very advanced things, but a lot of it is just breaking things down and, and, not assuming essentially using data to not as to, to be skeptical about what you think you know i think that's the way to do it is i think this player is good why do i think that player is good and is there anything to suggest that the underlying numbers line up with that assumption or i think this team does this and they might be you know this might leave them weak here are the goals they're giving up coming from this part of the pitch where I think they're weak or you go into it with a clean slate and say, look, I have no idea how to attack this team. Let's see where they give up their goals. And is there anything to, you know, are they making a similar mistake in the, in, you know, is there, for example, the right fullback, is he constant, is he consistently getting caught out or not tracking back in these situations? And then, you know, the stats lead us to that observation. And then can we manufacture our tactics to create that situation more often in the game? So, it's not necessarily, it's not, you know, people bring up Moneyball all the time and that matters. You want to be able to extract value, but at the semi-pro level, at the college level, where to an extent you're playing with the cards you're dealt, it's about, you want as many different arguments lining up in the direction of a decision as possible. And, you know, data is just one more thing to have you more confident and making a decision, whether it's player selection, tactics, that's how I view it. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, so I think it makes sense at a high level as well, right? Like a team like Liverpool can perhaps afford the best data team. How does that work? Um, how does that, how do you think, how do you make data accessible and digestible A for like players and coaches? And how is it accessible to lower tiers of clubs? I don't know how you it's hard to that. Yeah. It's hard. Um, there's some, there, there's some kind of basic statistics that are kept in college soccer in some, you know, th there are different websites that have done a lot of analytics works analytics work in other sports that are now starting to get into football. So for example, 
sports reference now has, I think, expected goals by player and by team and MLS and I think European leagues going back maybe half a decade or a decade. And you can play around with that there. But, you know, at the end of the day, Opta and the like have all the rights and it costs a lot of money. And there are some companies like StatsBomb who are also, you know, who charge for their full set of data, but give some out to the public. Really what ends up happening is you have the you have you know you get a little bit of public data and if you were able to work some magic with it then maybe you'll get hired to be on the inside of a data department for a professional club and then you have all the resources you can ask for at our level fourth division of the u.s soccer pyramid again it's about taking as much of an analytical approach as possible you know seeing if there is a way to tally up specific things that, you know, manually that you think matter, but um, it's hard. The short answer is it's, it's really hard to do at our level and it's uh, hopefully data can be tracked and distributed at our level as well. And at the youth levels so that we can optimize our ability to develop players and have results. Uh, where, um, definitely, um, where, I guess, what are some of, in the spaces that you've seen it done right? Do you have any like good key takeaways there? So I think it depends on whether you're doing it from, you know, how, how are we going to set up tactically versus trying to find players in the market? So, and, and even this is my professional level. And we're an amateur club, but even still, we're competing against other amateur clubs for these players. And so, you know, you're trying to find, still to an extent, trying to find needles in the haystack. But I think, you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, the best use that I have seen so far, our level is using it to filter down of all the players you can look at. How do I, how can I be efficient? So, Sure, you can scout every single game of a, a professional or of a semi-professional league or professional league. You can just watch tons and tons of clips. Or if you're looking for a goal scorer, you can try to find the leading goal scorer. Like usually, that's going to be available. Or if you can, the leading goal scorer on non-penalty goals, find the top ten list, start there, and then. If you if you find three really good players and one of them signs for you, you you've done your job for that position as opposed to just running through endless hours of film. So same thing can be said from from a defensive point of view. It's hard it's harder to pin down one metric, uh, and the advanced analytics can do that to an extent, but it's harder to pin down one metric to, to measure defensive performance. But if you play on a good team that gives up very few goals looking at that and saying, okay, maybe I can get one of these players on my back line and not scout the back lines of teams giving up three or four goals a game. I know it sounds obvious, but it, you know, you only have so much time. I wear many different hats as the general manager. I mean, I'm the head of the sporting side, but I'm also trying to build a club and finance a club. And I only have so much time. So, you know, if I can find my targets by, simply looking at who's giving up goals and who's not, 
all the better. Amazing. Um, so that actually is a nice segue into what's your experience been as a general manager for Atlantic City? It's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a huge learning experience every single day. It's been <laughs> it's been hard not being able to watch the teams I've assembled play because of COVID. Obviously, there are far greater issues in the world, specifically with COVID. But I, I am very excited for when normalcy resumes. But you know, it becomes really clear to me day in day out that there's so much promise in Atlantic City, in the United States, in North America, and I think there are more and more clubs and partners looking to think outside the box and do things differently and really genuinely be a part of their communities and have it be a symbiotic relationship where the club betters the community and the community backs the club and then together they you know talent and culture begins to develop and then you provide pathways for people who didn't have it before i think that it's a really special thing to be a part of and i'm lucky to uh, have an owner in Andrew Walgus who is committed to these ideals as much as I am, but also you can't be I so idealistic that you're spending money that you don't have. And I think we've taken a really reasonable approach by having our funding come from sponsorship pretty much exclusively and anything else we get on top is gravy. And it's easier said than done because when people are running on a really tight budget, but at the end of the day, we're building something from scratch that I think has, that I know honestly has the potential to be really, really special. And, you know, it's the power of sports, power of football. It's, and with all that, it's really, you know, I, you know, you mentioned it, you know, kind of at the top, you know, I'm a five foot nine, generously former center back who's had too many concussions. Like I, I'm not going to play pro and to be able to get out there and have that buzz on game day and feel genuinely invested in what's going on and have not just be invested, but have a say in what happens. I've watched a lot of sports teams uh, that I'm, that I root for make decisions that have driven me crazy and <laughs> for good or bad, I'm taking it upon myself to create things. And that, that way I have no excuse. I have no one to point the finger at, but, my, but, but other than myself. So it's, uh, it's a risk in that sense, but it's something that I love. Um, it's been a phenomenal experience. We're very happy to hear that. So guys, that's where you can get to as well if you work really hard. Uh, where do you see at least what is on Atlantic City FC's mood board in the next five years? Or what is the next big milestone you, the team is aiming for? So we are scheduled to play in the U.S. Open Cup, Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, which for those who are less familiar with the U.S. soccer scene, or at least the specifics of it, is the equivalent of the FA Cup in England. Not many amateur teams qualify for it, but we did. We were supposed to play in it last March, but it got pushed to this March and who knows what will happen. But you win a game, you play against a professional team, you win two games of playing against an MLS team. And that is a really special opportunity. And we have a unique ap approach to recruiting that I think will allow us to make a run and you know, just salivating for that opportunity. 
Other than that, starting up a youth academy, starting to provide pathways for those in our community, building facilities, refurbishing facilities, seeing the game grow from a grassroots level up. I mean, we're really excited. We, we have a partnership coming up with a program called America Scores that is going to bring recs, recreational after-school programming with soccer, poetry, and I believe nutrition uh, to, this, to the city. And that's going to be sponsorship-based. And that's just a small step it's putting soccer and it's putting soccer in the city as a foundational piece of how we can help educate kids, keep them active and learning about things that they can become really passionate about. If it's not soccer, if it's poetry, great. We just want to provide pathways and I'm really excited to see where that initiative grows and how that eventually leads itself to our own Atlantic City FC Academy. That is really cool. I'm very, very excited. Um, what what else does David Goldstein have in his like future plans? Actually, before we get to that, who are like your soccer or football just related people that you look up to or that you draw inspiration from? Um, certainly Rueda and Jesse. For sure. I mean, to have seen those guys up close and personal at some, such a young age. And, you know, I, I'm not, I, I realized that I didn't want to be a coach. It's not what I wanted to do day in, day out. Um, it's something that I, I really enjoy doing. But in terms of my path, I realized over time that I want to help build foundations and rosters. And that's what, you know, gets me up in the morning. But, um, just to see those different leadership styles and the passion and how genuine those guys are off the field with absolutely zero ego um, was was really inspirational. Um, you know, I take inspiration from people uh, both in Europe and in the United States. I mean, some of the best work by general managers is being done by Americans here in MLS where they have a salary cap. And every single dollar matters and you can't just outspend. So guys like Garth Lagerway, who's a Seattle, built a dynasty with RSL, now winning championships in Seattle. Huge inspiration. I was very lucky to meet him briefly. The Sloan Sports Analytics Conference last year. Uh, fantastic guy from you know my brief chat with him. Um, and then another guy who uh, whom I look up to, <laughs> I actually he actually coached against me in high school, was Lucha Gonzalez. Uh, he's the head coach of SC Dallas, but in terms of a model of bringing players up, giving them opportunities, letting them shine, moving them on to bigger and better things if the opportunity presents themselves and being both competitive in the short term and profitable in the long term, but genuine throughout the whole process of wanting kids, lo local kids in Dallas to succeed at the highest levels. And now you see Chris Richards getting starting minutes for Bayern Munich in before Lucci was the head coach, he was the academy director there. Uh, he le definitely left an impressive, uh, met, you know, a, a very good impression upon me when I was playing against him. Um, it wasn't fun losing to his teams when that happened. I did sneak a couple of results in there. But uh, another guy that has always been happy to respond to an email quickly if I reach out. 
and he's doing things the right way. And that's what I say all the time. I want to do things the right way. I don't want to cut corners. I'm willing to work harder and work smarter to get to where our club needs to be. And those are guys uh, who are doing that. Um, in addition, it's hard not to look at the women's national team and be completely in awe of them. Um, and not just the women's national team too. I mean, NWSL, um, the WSL um, leagues across the world are, you know, are thriving more than ever. It's great to see the media distribution rights being, being uh, expanded upon for U.S. viewing. Um, I think another person that I've been lucky enough to have conversations with and really look up to is Elise LaHue, who's the general manager of Sky Blue FC. Someone else who's putting on a lot of different hats, both on the technical side and the business sides, to help reshape her club into one that players are really excited to play for and stands for the community and does interesting things branding wise. And you now she's out there on the on the ground, so to speak, doing trivia nights with her fans during COVID. And that just shows her passion for the club and you know the reason why she's putting in all that work. So um, I have heroes on different sides of football. I've gotten to meet some of them. I've gotten to work with some of them. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is we'll always be grateful to coach Jim Barlow, uh, of Princeton men's soccer and his staff, because, you know, went in and I, I did put myself out there and I had a good interview and whatnot, but he didn't have to hire me. He didn't have to hire a student to be part of his coaching staff. He didn't have to hire a student to be a water boy. And he was open-minded and, on one hand had a commitment to be being open to finding ways to better his team. But on the other hand, and more importantly, he just gave me a chance and um, I'll always be grateful to him. Learned a lot from him and, you know, he's given me a lot of confidence since I started, since I graduated. So always indebted to him. That's that's absolutely great. Uh, Jim is a wonderful guy, and obviously he has um, his words and his choices are now being backed up. Um, I I think that's at least it for me. Uh, I guess any last words slash where can people find you and the work that you're doing for Atlantic City FC and other projects you have ongoing? Sure. So let's see if I can get this all right um, in terms of the different – I mean – which which handle is right for which social media account pretty much if you look at atlantic city fc on twitter and instagram we're there my twitter is dm gold 24 my instagram is dgoldstein 24 i'm private there's nothing that is any sort of talking point but just it's my personal account but twitter's probably the better way um and so atlantic city fc the website is Atlantic City, give me once, Atlantic City, Atlantic City Football Club. Um, and in addition, we didn't even get to it, but there's always stuff going on. I'm also involved with the same ownership group as Atlantic City with a semi-professional team out of Barrie, Ontario, 1812 FC Barrie. Really exciting stuff there. The president of the club is Julian de Guzman, who was the former captain and all-time caps leader for Canada. Um, Canada is another booming market in terms of soccer. We're really excited about that project. So check out 1812 FC. Uh, feel free to reach out. Always looking to, you know, you know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm ambitious. I'm working hard. I don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination, 
but through the struggles too, there's stuff to learn and, and, you know, trade information back and forth. So I'm always happy to have a conversation and, you know, really happy to see that you're pursuing your passion for football glow and really happy you asked me on and want to continue, continue to have these types of conversations, stay in touch and who knows, maybe you'll be, you know, part of the staff of Atlantic City FC or Barry one day. I gotta, gotta reel you in. Uh, thank you. Maybe one day. Um, but for now, thank you again so much for giving us some of your time and giving us a different experience in how you've experienced football and how you've been able to make your path through. And thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. We'll talk to you again very soon.